This program is part of Film Geek Radio. Visit filmgeekradio.com for more great shows. Hey, movie addicts, welcome to Cinema Fix, your side for the purest, highest quality movie reviews on the block. I'm Andrew Johnson, and I'm joined today by my fellow dealer, Monica Castillo. Hello, Andrew. Hey, Monica. Have you played with any guns lately? Can't say I have. <laughs> really? Because <laughs> I just found two of them lying around the house. One for each hand? Or one for each co-host? Oh, maybe we're the guns, Monica. I think so. Maybe you're a gun, and I'm a gun, and together, we're two guns. Bam. That's deep. That's our reboot this. <laughs> <laughs> All right. This is part two of episode number 60 of Cinema Fix, focused on the movie Two Guns. So if you're looking for part one, you are listening to the wrong file. Go away. We don't want you here. If this is your first time listening to Cinema Fix, basically this is the program on Film Geek Radio devoted to discussion of mainstream blockbuster films. And each week we release an episode in two parts. The first part is a general spoiler-free discussion, and the second part, which you're listening to right now, is the more in-depth analysis of the film, complete with spoilers, and it's designed to be listened to after you've heard part one, or at least after you've seen the movie. Again, this is part two, so if you don't want to be spoiled, stop listening now and go check out part one of our episode on two guns. I'm going to assume if you're listening, you've already seen the movie, so there's no need to rehash the plot. Before we dive into things, here's a clip. You stole... $43.125 million that did not belong to you. Now, man to man, who would DEA authorize you to rob our bank? You're a banker. You ever play Russian roulette? Thing is, most people put the gun to the temple. Well, that's just stupid. He'd blow a man's head off, boys. Had a chance to tell you what you want to know. All right, Monica, you said in part one that you found two guns completely forgettable. I'm going to ask you to reach back into the recesses of your memory <laughs> and try to think of something noteworthy you think you could talk about regarding this film. Um, think really, really hard. Hmm. Yeah, I'm thinking. I guess there's more than two guns in this movie. Oh, there are a lot more than two guns. This uh, this title makes no sense, and it's a terrible title. Probably the worst <laughs> thing about the movie is the title and the fact that they, it's spelled like two guns, making it already Twitter ready. It's almost like too much. With the letter two. <laughs> I was just wondering, is this a sequel to a movie called Guns? Did I miss Guns? And this is now Two Guns? Two Guns, Two Furious. Yeah, is that what we're going to get next? Two Guns, Two? That's just going to be weird. Yeah, it's it's already weird. I don't know. That title was kind of a, not the greatest. <laughs> Let's talk about Paul Patton. You just want to talk about chicks, man. No, she was kind of an issue for me, too. I don't know what to make of her in this film. So it's alluded that she's kind of a double agent, but then she's 
kind of gets caught in the in-between. Right. And because of her betrayal, she is punished. Yeah, apparently she's part of this big plot. Which I'm not quite sure where she falls into. Like, on whose side was she... Oh, that's right, she was with the military guy. This is why I don't remember this film. She Okay, no, she she's another DEA agent, along with Denzel Washington. But she was stooping him with the superior of Mark Wahlberg's character. Yes. So James Marsden and Paula Patton teamed up to set up Marky Mark and Denzel. Mm-hmm. And she had a history with Denzel, and it's kind of implied that they used to be married. Oh, is that married or just, like, a really serious relationship he didn't want to take to the next level? Well, she keeps putting this ring on and taking it off, and I Uh couldn't figure out if that was supposed to symbolize, like, a marriage... An engagement ring... Or something... A promise ring... Yeah, the, the important thing is that they had a history... And all that stuff I thought was really interesting. And I'm kind of disappointed that they didn't explore that more and they just turned her into a damsel in distress. Oh yeah, she's definitely just, rescue me, rescue me, at the end. And at first I was I was kind of wondering, because she's going to be like this badass chick, you know? And then, no, nah, not so much. Yeah. And Paula Patton's had a weird career, (laughs) honestly. She's been around for probably eight to ten years, but I feel like people really didn't sit up and start paying attention to her until Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol. Mm, yeah. And then it was suddenly like, oh, who's this really attractive woman? Well, being that her last film credit before Two Guns was the movie Disconnect, which is horrible in all accounts. Hey, hey, I kind of liked Disconnect. No, okay. come on, man. <laughs> Troll. You're right, she was in Disconnect. Yes. She kind of goes back and forth between these big-budget Hollywood action films and smaller, more dramatic independent stuff. And the occasional comedy? Yeah, it's it, she, she has an interesting career. And I feel like after Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol, she was kind of set to explode and be like the next big movie star, the next big actress. It's just kind of weird, the roles that she keeps popping up in. Mm -hmm. I feel like she hasn't quite exploded into the mainstream consciousness yet. And in this movie, since we're in spoilers, I can reveal this very important information. Uh, She goes topless. And... I was kind of sitting there thinking to myself, wait, 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 why is Paula Patton going topless? Ha- has it reached that point in her career where she's, where she's doing this now? I feel like, again, I, I could be completely wrong on this, but I feel like most actresses only do, if, if they don't start out doing nudity, they only agree to do nudity if their career is kind of in a slump, maybe. Or they just they were looking for another reason, another way to get noticed. You know, that director is European. <laughs> True. It's maybe not that big of a deal. It may, Maybe it's not, and maybe it was just part of his directorial style, and uh, I, I don't know. But I was just kind of surprised when all of a sudden there was uh, nudity in my summer action movie, and it was from Paula Patton, no less. Because I was kind of like, wait, if you're the next big up-and-coming star... I don't know. It's really weird because this movie at times seems really kind of sleazy. (laughs) 
Because, I mean, you have Marky Mark Mackinac girls in total high school fashion, like, winking at them and stuff like that. So you're already kind of like, all right, this is not a guy I'm going to give my number to at a bar, even if he does look like Marky Mark. I mean, that's just kind of played for laughs. But that's obviously why his character has no depth to it, because <laughs> they kind of <laughs> equate him to a 16-year-old high school kid. <laughs> yeah, I, I just kind of feel like this is a really at times, dirty, grimy movie mm-hmm. starring some classy actors, and I'm not quite sure it fully meshes. Yeah, I'm not quite sure either, but I hope it is a good paycheck for the two of them. Yeah, and I hope Paula Patton got paid well, too. Yeah. <laughs> Poor thing. She's not. I don't think she's on any of the top billing or anything like that. It's really just Washington Wahlberg. Yeah. 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 But honestly, I thought Paula Patton did a pretty pretty good job in the few she, scenes that she had. Even if her character was as deep as a weak Yeah. <laughs> I really liked her dynamic with Denzel, and that was probably my favorite thing about the, the movie. I do have something, I guess, weird. It's like, oh, the two-timing woman, now she has to be punished. You know? Well, yeah. It's like in a, in a criminal justice system... <laughs> The lady who wrongs the leading actor must get her end. I didn't like how it turned into that, but I liked how their relationship seemed really tragic and how this whole movie seems to be about institutions in one form or another. And the mistrust of... Yeah, how how they never live up to our expectations. Mm -hmm. How, you know, the DEA and the CIA and the military... Will are all ultimately corrupt and will never live up to, to the ideals that they were founded on. And also relationships and love and marriage and how those institutions can sometimes become corrupted and, and, and never live up to what we want. There's this repeated line in this movie where Denzel and Paula Patton say something to each other like, well, I always meant to love you. Mm-hmm. And it's just such a tragic line. <laughs> in my opinion. But career first, baby. And so she's the one that kind of wants the relationship more. So that was already... Meh. Well, I kind of... I feel like the, the the impression you get is that there is a real connection there and they're both trying really hard mm-hmm. and they want to be together and they want it to work, but for whatever reason, it just can't. Yeah. It's probably the most tragic line of a mainstream film I've seen this summer. I was just kind of like, oh man, you gotta be kidding me. Um, when they say that to each other, I always meant to love you. There's just there's just something really haunting about the implications of that, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. And I wish that the movie had done more to, to follow up with that. Yeah, because after she gets killed, I don't know, Denzel doesn't seem be too broken up he's more like yeah man revenge which is i guess how macho culture is supposed to take a loss it's not grieve or anything like that or even just man she cheated on me you know or it was more like all right well now he's gonna exact revenge right and the ending of the movie i mean yeah it's action-packed but It didn't really feel earned to me. They have to blow up the vintage car. (laughs) It was really cute. Well, I think from a narrative perspective, it makes sense. Like, oh, these two guys are upset, so they're going to go get revenge and kill everybody. Mm -hmm. And obviously, that's what most Hollywood movies tend to be about. 
Yeah. The wronged individuals getting revenge on the bad guys and seeking justice through violence. Who was it? I can't remember. It was another critic that said that that sort of thing is fascist. Maybe Pauline Kael? Yeah. Exacting revenge instead of relying on the criminal justice system. Yeah, I might agree with that to, to a certain extent. Yeah, but there goes like a good portion of American cinema. <laughs> right. <laughs> from right. like everything from westerns to gangster films. <laughs> a lot of the most American genres out there are completely based on the concept of revenge. Oh, sure. And it's it all goes back to that, the myth of redemptive violence, which I've talked about before on the program. And just, just that cultural idea that violence in certain situations can be a tool for good. And yeah. can bring order out of chaos. Usually in the American hero's hands, it's an okay yeah. tool to use. But in foreigners' hands, no, they're evil. They're yeah. violent. That's not good. Yeah. I was hoping this movie was going to do something different at the end. Um, you know, they, they bring all the different parties together. They're in Mexico, down on Poppy's Ranch. And Tintel brings the money the $43 million, and I was kind of hoping that the movie would just kind of end with Marky Mark and Denzel leaving the money there mm-hmm. in the middle for the for everyone else to deal with and just driving off into the sunset <laughs> free men because the, the movie seems very much to be about how money has corrupted a lot of these institutions mm-hmm. and, and, and how basically they're all corrupt. Mm-hmm. I, I was thinking, well, how appropriate then would it be if the last scene of the movie is just these three institutions being the ones that ultimately just kill each other over the money? Yeah, because you know they kill each other. Yeah. Well, yeah. So I don't see why you had to have Marky Mark and Denzel be part of that at all. I think it would have been far more poignant if they just left and then let these institutions battle it out. Tear each other apart. I do like how it kind of turned into sort of the impossible white man. <laughs> okay. Um, how, well, Marky Mark and Denzel somehow outgunned three branches of the U.S. government. No problem. <laughs> I don't even think one of them gets a flesh wound. Like, it's that insane. Yeah. There's at least 60 extras out there. Not one of them managed to hit either one of them. To be fair, you're 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 taking the impossible white man phrase from our friend Yes Rod Morrow, who who came on the show to talk to us about Man of Steel. Yeah. And when I heard that I was like, Oh man, that uh yeah. <laughs> to be fair, when he uses the term impossible white man, he's usually referring to like a John McClane type figure. If not impossible white man near impossible white man. This is another situation in which the heroes solve all their problems with violence and don't really get hurt at all. Yeah. And it's just an excuse for us to see Marky Mark take down a helicopter with one shot. Yeah. Which is kind of cool, but also completely ridiculous. And again, I was just kind of thinking, this doesn't feel like the type of ending this movie was leading up to. I'm curious. I would not be surprised if this was not the original ending, but this is the type of ending that plays well to mainstream audiences or that Hollywood thinks plays well to mainstream audiences. Yeah, maybe they don't like the meta commentary of the three branches of the government tearing each other apart. So yeah, I I, I wasn't a huge fan of the way things ended, 
But up until then, you know, I was kind of on board. I, I just love how everyone seemed to be having a good time chewing the scenery. Mm-hmm. And Edward James, almost his character, Poppy, they kidnap him. Yeah. And at that point, I thought, oh, well, it's been fun, Edward James, almost bye. I thought they were going to basically just write him out of the movie and he would end up getting shot or something. Mm-hmm. But he comes back <laughs> and is still a major character throughout the rest of the film. And I actually kind of thought that that was nice. I thought that it, it added an extra layer of complexity to the plot. Whereas in most situations, he'd get killed off and it would just be yeah, the Navy and the CIA. Mm-hmm. But they kept him around, and he seemed to be enjoying himself. And there he even gets to uh, urinate on his hands and hit some people with a baseball bat. So, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's. I guess it's good that he doesn't turn into the twirling mustache villain. He, he kind of, but like it's a very subtle way. Yeah, he does, a, he does a really good job on it. Like, it's a completely stock character. Yeah. But he somehow managed to, to add his own unique spin on it. And Bill Paxton, mm-hmm. I thought, did a pretty good job. He he at least, he seemed to just be relishing every line that yeah. he has to say. All ten of them? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He's not on there for a lot. So he just gets has to show up and be creepy and violent. And I think that could have been boring mm-hmm. because we've seen it, again, we've seen it all before. Yeah. But he just seems to be having so much fun with it that I was ultimately won over. Okay. And, I mean, he gets to play Russian roulette with Denzel's genitals. So, (laughs) that's memorable. Kind of. Kind of. I'm sure Denzel's never going to forget. I'm sure the trailer blurbs are never going to forget that line. (laughs) Oh, yeah. The money's not down there, or whatever. Yeah. So, yeah, overall, I kind of liked it. It's fairly formulaic and forgettable, but... Kind of above average, I think. It's average for me. It's, yeah. In a year, are you going to remember two guns? I'm not sure. I can tell you no. I'm already up to over 100 movies for the year. I know I'm not going to remember two guns. Oh, yeah, so am I. But part of me is wondering, okay, did I enjoy two guns overall because it's a pretty good movie? Or did I just enjoy it because it didn't involve the destruction of an entire city? (laughs) Those are your (laughs) criteria, man. (laughs) Let me introduce you to this part of cinema that doesn't have the budget to destroy (laughs) whole cities. It's called (laughs) art house or independent films. (laughs) It just seems like that's what summer blockbuster movies have become. Yeah. At least this year. So I was just kind of glad. It was like, oh, it's just a nice little crime movie with Marky Mark and Denzel. And there's going to be a couple big explosions. But overall... They're not going to level an entire city. Yeah, I just think, feel like the kiss, kiss, bang, bang thing is going to go on for a while. That's going to be all the major blockbuster movies from here on out, um, almost. Uh, if only because that global box office question on what, how does it play overseas is going to be the top memo for Hollywood to deal with. Right. So that's a lot easier to ship off to every corner of the country, slap on a new dub, and not have to worry about whether or not our cultural norms are going to translate over to another country's cultural norms. If we were to say to a personal drama, like Annie Hall may not exactly play very well in another part of the world, but Pacific Rim, Iron Man 3, Two Guns, Fast and Furious 6, 
Yeah, most likely. It's not a lot to unpack there. Well, speaking of cultural norms and values, I want to ask you about one of the opening scenes Uh in which Mark Wahlberg shoots the heads off of a group of chickens. Oh, yeah, that's the... It's become kind of a Twitter joke, chicken heads. Yeah, I was not sure what to make of that scene. Speaking of not opening well in some parts of the world, PETA will be very happy to see that. It's just a weird moment. I kind of liked it overall, but it, it, it left me a bit disturbed at first. It's just such a weird moment where he weird. sees these chickens being tortured, so he decides to put them out of their misery. And it's weird because it's kind of a shocking, gross moment, but it also demonstrates that, one, he's a good shot, and also... He's kind of a softy in a weird way. He's kind of like, whoa, 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 guys, come on. Stop mistreating the chickens. I like how Denzel was the one to point to him. Because before that, he was holding a plate of chicken. Denzel's like, well, what do you think you're eating? Yeah, yeah. It, it was this really weird, interesting moment. I wish, and I kind of wish the movie had had more scenes like that where you weren't quite sure <laughs> how to feel about what you were watching. Where is this going? Why did he just blow up three chickens' heads? It's like, wait, he killed the chickens, but uh, but it, it he did it for a good reason? So, hmm. Is to foreshadow his loyalty to <laughs> Denzel uh, when he, all of a sudden, when uh, Paula Patton's character is killed, and then he's like, well, yeah, I'm going to go adventure her because that's what you do for your bros and heads off into the sunset too extract revenge that's a good point it is kind of foreshadowing for how paula Patton will be shot in the head Ooh, so damn yeah i've got an interesting question for you sure since you're another sociologically minded person <laughs> did you think this movie was racist against mexicans hmm. because i ultimately did not think it was very offensive but it wasn't as offensive as like End of Watch, which I straight up called out for <laughs> doing that. My argument would be is that they didn't show any other Mexican characters that weren't part of the cartel. Well, sure. Well, sure. So that's giving that a trait to this group. Well, yeah, but overall, I kind of felt like it was so over the top and cartoonish. Yeah, and they're also talking about the corruption in other gra- in other branches of government. So it wasn't like just the white man is the white knight, and then everybody else are demons. Right. It was. It was ultimately kind of like, hey, <laughs> it's basically everybody is evil except for Denzel and Wahlberg. Yeah, it's basically the drug cartels run everything, including all of these American institutions. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It was. It's a very, very cynical film. I do think it's something to be to be watched out for, especially since diversity in Hollywood casting is one sad joke. So the fact that leading parts are not being given to Latino actors, and the only time you see Latino actors like the great Edward James almost is in the role of drug cartels, it is very problematic. But this is just like an entry in a long line of, well, it's just general Hollywood racism. Well, sure. But I that, I mean, that has more to do with the lack of opportunity and the lack of roles that Hollywood makes available. It's roles, but it's also the fact that casting directors, even if they don't specify a race, they're still looking for white. That's the problem. 
Okay, so let me ask you this then, mm-hmm. Monica. Are you saying this movie would have been a lot better if it was Denzel and Michael Pena? I was just thinking that. Because <laughs> I really like Michael Pena, and I thought he wasn't the worst thing in End of Watch. So so you're saying Hollywood should just cut out the white hero entirely? Not entirely. That's really extremist. I'm saying the fact that there isn't that opportunity for a lot of leading parts. I think it's less than one or two percent of lead roles have been given to Latino actors right. in the past, I don't know, uh, five years when the study was done. I think I think that would have been an interesting experiment because if they had cast Michael Pena alongside Denzel, then they would basically be counting entirely on Denzel's name, pretty much. To bring in audiences. Mm. Well, people showed up for flight, didn't they? (laughs) That's true. That's true. So it's a question of how mainstream audiences would perceive that. It's weird because it's kind of a... when, When you're talking about race in Hollywood, it's definitely a chicken and the egg scenario. Because Hollywood doesn't want to cast people of color because they feel like there won't be a box office draw and at the same time they aren't a box office draw because Hollywood isn't casting them so people aren't used to seeing it. I know but those are the same tired excuses I've been holding on to since the silent era. Oh yeah I agree I agree. It's really that they have to take more I mean my my example that I love to point to is Furious 6 because that is the most diverse cast out there right now. Oh sure. That is making huge box office receipts around the world. And if they are, if Hollywood is so concerned about foreign box office, then they also have to realize that there's a good portion of that foreign box office that is not white. Right. I got your solution right there. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. I agree. It's. It's a. I think the studios view it as a chicken and the egg scenario, but really, it wouldn't be if the studios just kind of did their part and said, "All right, we're not going to do this anymore." Yeah, again, it's kind of like we're not going to we're we're colorblind. We're not going to talk about race anymore, but then they still de facto cast white people for the majority of their roles. And we're seeing this also with women. The uh, number of roles that women have been appearing in is has been on the decline now. Oh, sure, especially in big summer movies. In big summer movies and uh, almost anything that's a, a big mainstream movie. It's it's really rare. Those numbers are dwindling. I mean, this summer blockbuster season has basically just been... Boys only. Macho, manly men blowing stuff up and saving the world. And it, it, it's that's all it is, mm-hmm. really. So, yeah, I feel like I need some estrogen with my testosterone. There's been too much testosterone this summer. I'm exhausted. I don't know how much more I can take. Is August almost over? Oh, no, it just started. Oh, no, it just started. Yeah, we're not going to get the fall Oscar contenders until about the end of August, September. But I don't think it's anything that... The action movies don't have to be boys only, like we saw in Pacific Rim, where Mako plays a pretty big role in the film. Oh, sure. I mean, we had some issues with it or whatnot, but still, it's the fact that she is... There among the sea of mostly guys, you know, Iron Man 3, Pepper Potts is just, again, on the side or ends up being a sort of damsel in distress. So what we're saying, Monica, is that two guns would have been a lot better if it was Denzel and Paula Patton? 
no, hey, we can still keep Marky Mark. Let's add, let's let Paula become an asset to them. Hey, the three musketeers are called the three musketeers, but they were really four. All right. So they could have done two guns and then Paula Patton joins in and becomes three guns. What would have happened if they switched the uh, Paula Patton and Marky Mark roles? They have to save Marky Mark. That'd be fun. Yeah. That could have worked. <laughs> there, here's our reboot this right now. <laughs> Let's save Marky Mark from a tower. <laughs> Speaking of reboot this, is there anything else you want to say about two guns or should we move on to reboot this? Yeah, I'm kind of over two guns. I've been over two guns for a while. Okay. Uh, well, I guess real quick, uh, along with the thing uh, that we were talking about before in diversity and casting, my example of Furious 6. Again, there's women alongside the guys. And they fight and they also, you know, steal cars and drive cars just as well. It's not that girls can't drive. It's they might outdrive some of the guys. Damn it, Monica. Why do you have to keep making me want to defend Furious 6 even though I wasn't a big fan of that movie? (laughs) Because I don't think you watched that movie. (laughs) I did. It was pretty darn good. It's not a great movie. Here, let's talk about a great summer film. This one came out at the beginning and is still doing business. I think I agree with you when you imply that studios should be using Furious 6 or, or and the Fast and Furious franchise as a whole mm-hmm. as a model for how they approach diversity and casting yeah. in the future, uh, regardless of what we think of the film overall. Well, I think that'll wrap it up for our discussion of Two Guns. Let's move on to our final segment of the show, Reboot This. This is the part of the program where we pitch either a prequel, sequel, or remake to the movie that we just discussed, because Hollywood loves to turn everything into a franchise, and I'm positive that if Two Guns makes a ton of money at the box office, we will get a sequel or some other extension of this series, even if it's just straight to DVD. (laughs) So, Monica, if Universal Pictures approached you and said, hey, this Two Guns movie was a hit, but we we liked what you had to say about diversity and stuff like that, so we're going <laughs> to hand over the franchise to you, and you can do whatever you want with it. What would you do? Would you do either a prequel, sequel, or remake? I'm guessing it'd be kind of easy to do a sequel, since there's a lot of job openings in the government right now. <laughs> True. So maybe three guns. Marky Mark and Denzel can be joined by a young upstart named Michael Pena, (laughs) 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 who's new to the Bureau at CIA, (laughs) and the three of them will do battle with the cartels. Okay, okay. There we go. I like it. And maybe instead of a Mexican cartel, maybe they could deal with some Canadian cartels. You know, pharmaceuticals are cheaper up there, so obviously there has to be an underground resource train coming into the United States. Oh, those evil Canadians. Oh, those Canadians. Who would be the uh, primary villain? I don't know. <laughs> Up to casting. Okay. Oh, well, hey, uh, Brian Cranston's out of a job. <laughs> oh, yeah. He'd be great. He, he, he needs something to do. He could be either the uh, the drug cartel leader. As oh, come on. It's bad. like perfect for tight. Yeah. He's got some experience with being a drug cartel, <laughs> drug dealer. <laughs> or I feel like he'd also play a good, like, corrupt politician. Ooh, that would be good. What if they uncover, like, a secret deal that traces all the way back up to the president, played by Brian Cranston. Whoa. There you go. What would the title be? Three Guns. Okay. <laughs> Three Guns. <laughs> well, CIA's got to get in on this, so they're just not totally the antagonist. 
<laughs> All right. There's two routes I would take. Two gun, three gun, red gun, blue gun? <laughs> I would either do a sequel in the vein of what you're talking about called Three Guns, mm-hmm. in which it was Marky Mark, Denzel, and Michelle Rodriguez. Yes. Oh, that makes me so happy. They're the three guns, okay? Maybe she was undercover in another cartel, Mm. and now she's working together with them to bring down this giant uh, drug empire. So I think that would be interesting. And for a villain, let's see, who would be a good villain? Let's go completely off the deep end and say Adam Sandler. Is he trying to go for Oscar gold? (laughs) Yes. Like, that would be so... But wait, how many years is it in between each serious role that he can be allowed to do one of those? I don't know. It's been a while. It's like five years or so. Maybe his time has come. That's enough time between funny people and three guns. Yeah, we need to see Adam Sandler as a psychopathic murdering villain, okay? (laughs) He He needs to take the anger... That he and the 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 raw craziness that he had in Punch Drunk Love and translate it into something more sinister. Oh, I was gonna say Happy Gilmore and. <laughs> <laughs> yes, this casting decision will make or break the film. I'm under no illusions. <laughs> as long as you're honest with yourself, Andrew. Yes, it will either completely pay off and really make the movie incredible, or it will just doom it from the from the start. Yeah. So, yeah, that's that's one of my ideas. Three guns with Marky Mark Denzel and Michelle Rodriguez against Ad- Adam Sandler. Or a prequel that's really not an action movie. One gun? Yeah, it's just one gun, and it's a romantic drama about Denzel and Paula Patton and their relationship. That's kind of cute. Maybe they were supposed to become one gun and it doesn't happen. Oh, man. Yeah. Baby, I just wanted to spend the rest of my life with you and we could be one gun together. Bam. Mm. Done. Wow, that's tragic. Send us the checks out, Hollywood. We got ideas. <laughs> All right, I think that'll wrap it up for part two of our discussion on two guns here on Cinemafix. Don't forget to tune in next week when we will be discussing Elysium. Are there guns in that movie? I hope so. It's got to be Space Guns. Space Guns. Space Guns. They really should change the title. I feel like a lot of people are going to be like, Elysium? What's that? But then if they hear space guns... Well, to keep up with the 90s motif, we're going to add, instead of an S to guns, it's going to be with a Z at the end. (laughs) Space guns. Perfect. I like what you're thinking. All right. We would love to get your feedback on the show. You can email us at cinemafix at filmgeekradio.com or comment on the website at filmgeekradio.com. You can also subscribe to the show through iTunes, so if you liked this episode, please write us a review. That would really help us get the word out about the program. You can also donate to us through the website. We really appreciate your help. And don't forget to check out other great shows on Film Geek Radio, including The Thin Place, Avenging Angels, Navigating the Newsroom, and our newest show, The Nerdy Projectors. Monica, why don't you tell us more about The Nerdy Projectors and where people can find you in your work? Well, the Nerdy Projectors are part of Film Geek Radio, and we talk about all things nerdy. This last episode that we just recorded was right before I went to Boston Comic Con. So we talk a little bit about con etiquette and uh, what Michelle's trip to San Diego Comic Con was like. Spoilers, it was kind of crazy. You're kidding. San Diego Comic Con was crazy? I it was only kind of it. crazy, yeah. I know. It's contrary to everything I've ever heard about San Diego Comic Con ever. 
Um, they can also find my work on my Twitter and Tumblr at mcastimovies. That's M-C-A-S-T-I movies. They can also find my work reposted on the Boston Online Film Critics Association website at bofca.com. You can find some of my writing at filmgeekpedia.com. And if you head over to moviemezzanine.com, you can find some of my recent reviews, including a two-person conversational review, I guess you could call it, of Two Guns, in which Sam Fragoso and I really dive into some of the themes that are uh, underneath the film. You can also follow me on Twitter at writerandrew. If you do follow me, be sure to send me a message, let me know you're a listener, and I will follow you back. That'll wrap it up for this episode. I'm Andrew Johnson. I'm Monica Castillo. And have fun this week getting high on cinema and rescuing the person you love from a drug cartel. This has been a Film Geek Radio production. Film Geek Radio! Yeah!